Welcome to the We Shape Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm here with Tyler. And if you've been listening the last couple episodes, you know that Dr. Lisa Folden is here as a guest co-host, and we're basically hoping she can stay with us forever. <laughs> Are you singing this intro right I'm now? I'm singing. I got some singing. vibrato we're out of that, that, some This tone? is my fifth podcast today. Oh, my and God. And we all know that as the day goes on, I get a little stranger right. and stranger. One time I had somebody ask me on a podcast, what's something that people don't know about you? I'm like, I'm very weird. And then I like told you about that, and you were like, yeah, she's super weird. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you know how Is kids so- get loopy when they get tired? Mm-hmm. That's what we're about to do right now in this podcast. So. It'll be fun. I get super loopy. But anyway, thank you again, uh, Lisa. We love having you. You bring such an incredible perspective. We miss you, thank Nina, you. too. Nina's out on maternity leave. Um, but yeah, I want to dive in. We have a great guest today. It's funny, you actually knew this guest. Yeah. <laughs> and so when we when we popped on you know, the, the video call before, she was like, wait. Lisa, is that you? It's very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to read her bio, and then I think we're going to have a good discussion today around what intuitive eating is and all of the things. So let me read. Danielle is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor. She specializes in working with people with diabetes and binge eating in a in a health at every size aligned lens. Danielle is passionate about guiding her clients with diabetes towards feeling more at peace with their food decisions and blood sugar management. All right, hi Danielle, how are you? Can you hear us? Hi, I can. Thank you so much for the intro and I'm excited to be here. Well, welcome. I want to just dive right in. I've told you before that we've had a lot of uh, intuitive eating experts on the podcast. I think it's a phenomenal way to repattern our relationship with food. So I'm really fascinated with it. But I'd love to hear what your perspective and just general take on what is intuitive eating? What does that mean to you? Yeah. So with intuitive eating, you know, it's a self-care eating framework. Mm. It is not a diet. I think that's what tends to get a little messy in the online space is people see posts and they're not sure, like, is this the new diet to try? It's like, this is not a diet, self-care eating framework that really helps people connect with their internal cues. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're getting so much messaging from the outside, from calorie apps, from, you know, the media, from whatever, whatever external messages, it can disconnect us from our own internal cues. And so intuitive eating is a way that you can reconnect and learn to trust your body. Love it. All right. That's great. And I and I love, I want to talk, we were talking about this before, uh, like this this idea around um, I love that you're working with people who are who um, are dealing with diabetes because, you know, Lisa, you want to kind of share what we were talking about. Before yeah. Just yeah. The idea, especially when we talk about like type two diabetes, this idea that like you earned this or you ate in a way that made you have this and that if you just got really strict on your eating, you could get rid of it completely. And so I would personally love I mean, I know we've talked before, but I would love for you <laughs> to sort of maybe dispel that myth or, you know, just educate uh, the listeners on like what that really is and how, you know, restriction is not necessarily the cure for diabetes. Ooh, yes, <laughs> I feel like there's so many layers to this question. Yeah. So I will first off just say for anyone that's diagnosed with diabetes, no matter what type, it is not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, diabetes is so complex. There 
in research, there hasn't been one specific factor that's been found to cause diabetes. It tends to be like an umbrella of many factors, mm -hmm. you know, going from like genetics being yeah. a very strong factor, family history. A lot of times, you know, people that have comorbidities like polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm -hmm. that can increase the insulin resistance in the body. Uh, hypothyroidism, if somebody needs to take a long-term steroid, maybe for a condition like a respiratory disease, you know, these are things that your body needs, but you know, with steroids that can increase blood sugars. Mm -hmm. um, even in research in the past, like four to five years, looking at, um, you know, like food insecurity, looking at access to care, it's like, there's just so many factors that can be at play. And so that's what I always try to encourage people with all forms of diabetes. And to say that, you know, body size doesn't dictate whether you get diabetes or not, which is a very controversial uh -huh. statement to make. But truly, people with all body sizes can get type 2 diabetes, uh, all other forms of diabetes. So I don't say that to be like, um, you know, super extreme. I say it in a way to show you compassion that really diabetes is so much more than just the myths of eating too many carbs mm -hmm. or you didn't do enough that's great yeah and i think people need to hear that and know that right because it you know my mom passed away a couple years ago but she had type 2 diabetes and during the time she was struggling with it i was not under this idea of health at every size and i did not get it and i definitely shamed her and sort of judged her and felt like, man, if you just ate different, things would be better. So I say that I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, answered that question because I had to provide myself with some compassion for like thinking that way for so long. And so I think the key that you brought home was like that compassion for yourself and knowing like you didn't cause this, you don't deserve this. And then we here's how we can manage it. We humans yes. really go, we're just like judgmental little creatures, we are. aren't we? Like, <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. I, I feel like, I mean, everything in our culture from like fat phobia to like, oh, that's your fault that you ate that. It's like, oh my gosh, like it, the root of all of this stuff is just judgment, which probably comes from mm -hmm. judgment itself. And yes. then we project that judgment outward to people. And so yeah. I love yeah. having podcasts like this where we can bring in education and say, actually... Right. We're going to have a perspective shift. And I love that you were just vulnerable and shared that because yeah. I think that we can get caught in shame around like I behave this way and I'm not proud of it. Mm -hmm. But being able to say like, oh, I did this and yeah. and now I have a different perspective like yeah. is like le it's like that's how we grow. Absolutely. Right? So thank you for that vulnerability. I oh, really no appreciate problem. that. Yeah. I think it's hard too. it feels like everybody in society tries to distill complex topics into something simple. Right. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is related to that. And that's the entire situation. But as you're alluding mm -hmm. to, like there's so many factors that play into mm -hmm. anything that people end up having to face that it makes it really hard yes. to say if this then that right yeah. and I think under, underpinning yes. a lot of this what I'm hearing you guys say is like gosh let's start with like connection with self mm -hmm. let's start with self-compassion and self-kindness and, mm -hmm. and let's lead from mm -hmm. there regardless of what avenue we're going down because if we stick in self-judgment and using that as fuel to try and make change what are we really doing we're not doing anything right well, also I try to remind myself like especially when it comes to even like the topic of how we understand disease in our culture how we understand mm -hmm. nutrition 
I always think about this concept of like, what do we know today right. scientifically that was true mm. 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Yeah. And like, not Good much point. is really like this, like, not much has stayed the same. <laughs> right. So you I'm like, eat food and drink water. I just think it's like such a funny thing as like human beings that we think we're at the end of our evolution and yeah. we're at the end of like figuring out what mm. is. And I'm like, no, that's not no. how that works. Mm -mm. So it's like, if even just holding that perspective is like, it's probably going to change what we know anyway. So yeah. leading with judgment and criticism and it's not really going to take us anywhere. I'll never forget the movie. It's what the bleep do we know? It's a movie on quantum <laughs> physics. And this one guy says, oh, if history is any guide, then most of the things we believe to be true today are not. Are not. Right? Um, what a thing that does a gut punch that we believe all this stuff and it's just not real, right? Leeches, yeah. put leeches on you to make you feel better about your body or whatever, right? So I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I've been reading yeah. this book, um, Food is Not Medicine. Mm. Have you read, have you heard of this book? <gasps> I've heard of it. I Dr. Joshua Walrich. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> basically everything I know. So it just- You had that book on your shelf for like a, a year before you got well, it. Well, I was triggered. <laughs> You were like triggered. She bought it. She set it on the counter, and she's like, "One day, I'm triggered. One I'll get day. there." Yeah, I, I knew it was my future, but I was really like, "This is gonna not, really." Not ready, yeah. And he's mm -hmm. even like, like specifically picked apart people that I follow. So I'm like, oh. I can do this. I can grow. <laughs> I can grow and learn. Um, but. I, I mean, do we want to go back to the diabetes thing a little bit? Because yeah. I feel like we haven't really talked about diabetes on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think there, one, is a big stigma. I think that, again, we're leading mm -hmm. with judgment, not compassion. And so, and I'm sure we were talking about this earlier. Like, if you're diagnosed with diabetes, you probably are feeling like I have to be on a diet. And I ha so, like, how do, what is the intersection between intuitive eating and diabetes? Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, I think it's again once again complicated and to quickly add on and then segue into your question um so you know when people are diagnosed with diabetes like i'm thinking my clinical experience as a dietitian you know we would get consults for people type 2 new diagnosis they're about to discharge from a hospital and basically we're given 20 minutes to educate them that is not even enough time for me to get up the stairs to them you know um it's really like the the support that people get at their you know first diagnosis makes it really challenging for them to know what tools can i use what are carbs should i cut them out and you know people tend to try to find and seek community you go online and unfortunately from my personal experience that facebook diabetes yeah is mm. not super great mm. there's lots of people that are giving advice with something that works for them, but may not necessarily work for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it leaves people feeling stumped and yeah. just kind of like, well, it's just not in the cards for me. And that's where I think intuitive eating can really step in and be something that's so helpful because one, bringing in that compassion, because if you're starting off this diagnosis journey with holding grief, feeling like this is your fault, mm -hmm. not even knowing what you're supposed to be doing. It's like, it feels a little isolating. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so when I, whenever I work with people or I'm chatting with people in the online space, it's really like, listen, 
you are dealing with a lot. What can we start to add back into your life versus take away? Mm -hmm. Because I think people need to know that the permission is there. There's lots of layers that people have to work with. There's lots of rules that people build up from being diagnosed with diabetes. So giving that space for permission, giving that space to cultivate compassion really starts to open up people's minds to understanding how they can learn to eat in a way that is enjoyable to them. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think intuitive eating intersects so well, but um, again, I feel like that permission and compassion really has to come first because we're sitting in that space of not feeling like we deserve Mm. compassion that we deserve to eat and it's a harsh reality uh, and a harsh thought that is put into reality so yeah i love your approach right there just to focus on the additive nature of things rather than the subtractive or the restrictive side of things Mm because you know we've had a lot of people on the show and and everybody basically agrees when we restrict and you can't and the rules and everything it's like I don't know how to say this in any other way. Rules are made to be broken. They you know are. So you put them in place and you just want to break them, you know? So yeah. it just creates yeah, di- yeah. disordered eating from just establishing those rules. So um, you know, speaking to that, what are the additive things that you, you focus on to help people start um, you know, connecting with themselves and making better decisions from their intuition? Yeah. So I usually have to debunk carbs for like a while with them. Right. I have to debunk, <laughs> you know, how carbs can benefit them and we will you know, specifically in like one-on-ones, you know, I'm, let's take a look at a day of eating for you. And oftentimes I'd say nine times out of 10, I'm like, that needs a carb. Mm. That needs a carb. Mm. That needs a so carb. So they're having and less they're like, than they need. Wow. Yeah. They're yeah. having less. And it's like, you know, have you ever thought about having a snack? You just told me that, you know, you waited until lunchtime to eat and you were tired your blood sugars were dropping um you were feeling like an urgency to eat i feel like if we tried a snack that included a carb source some protein some fat that would give you some stable energy to get you through to the next meal so i really first off start with assessing how they're eating and adding in there and from that point when people are starting to have more of a consistent meal pattern that's where we can look at, you know, what are some other factors? Like, what does your day look like? Is there times in the day where you can do a movement that you like? And this is where Lisa has been so helpful. She spoke for a couple of my groups, you know, just talking about how movement doesn't have to be going to the gym. It could be dancing in your living room. It could be gardening. It could be maybe stretching before you go to bed. It's thinking about how can you add something that is really going to be beneficial for you physically and mentally? Okay. So that's the second thing. Uh, sleep, movement, okay. hydration. Um, I even think about with meals. It's like, okay, you're having a turkey sandwich for lunch. Do you want to throw in some lettuce and tomatoes? Get a little extra fiber. Do you want to have some carrots on the side? Or maybe you want to do a little side salad. Thinking about all these different ways to add to your plate and add to your life is going to be a much better practice than thinking about, okay, well, I can't have bread anymore, so I guess Mm. I'm wrapping turkey and cheese. Wow, that really didn't satisfy, but I can't eat carbs, so now I'm eating, you know, trail mix. Okay, that didn't satisfy, and you go down and down and down that path. So, 
yeah, those are some of the ways. That's awesome. I I agree. The whole adding in versus taking out, it is a game changer really for every part of like your health, wellness, fitness journey. Um, I wanted to know, because you mentioned like you'll look at assessing how someone is eating, which first I think is beautiful, right? Because how many, I've had many clients come to me and they go to the doctor and they're like, saying kind of what they eat in a day and they're not necessarily or maybe no one's even asking what they eat in a day maybe someone's assuming what they eat in a day based on their bodies um and so first just having that um opportunity to give that compassion and that respect and listening to what they're saying um so that you can make a, a reasonable assessment for them i think that's great but you mentioned like noticing like places where you should add in a carb or add in this. And it sounds like a lot of people don't get enough or, and aren't eating enough, especially when they have a diagnosis like diabetes because the thought is restrict. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to like how detrimental like under eating and not consuming mm-hmm. carbs is for people in general and yeah. especially people with that? We'll be back in just a moment. We want to make sure everyone knows about WeShape, the company we founded to offer people a different approach to health and fitness. Most health and fitness apps use shame and self-judgment as tools to push you to exercise more so you can lose weight. But at WeShape, we gently guide you towards approaching your workouts as an act of self-care rather than an act of self-judgment. On top of that, we've invested heavily in a technology behind our workouts so we can deliver a personalized workout plan centered around functional movements you can do from home that will help you feel better in your body. If you want to try WeShape out for free, click the link in our podcast description or go to WeShape.com forward slash free, where you can build your first workout and activate your two-week free trial. And now, back to the Feeling Lighter podcast. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, carbs are our brain's primary fuel source. I always like to share with my, especially my clients with diabetes, that the recommended daily allowance for carbs is 130 grams a day that's equivalent to about seven slices of bread wow um that that tends to like blow people's minds and i'm like your body is fully capable of utilizing carbs and it needs it for that metabolic potential to function we need carbs so when we like let's say for people with diabetes are not getting enough carbohydrate sources i mean this is where you know Sure, you may do a very low-carb, high-protein, high-fat diet, but that energy is not being used as efficiently. So a lot of people tend to feel sluggish, and then, you know, you could be missing some important nutrients that you can get from grains Mm -hmm. and fibers, things like that. So um, I think carbs are such an amazing, you know, addition into people's lives, and I found most of the time when I'm doing these, like, add-ins with clients like the next session they're like oh my gosh I feel so much better whoa is this what it's like to have energy it's like yes wow yes have your bread please it's gonna help you that's so good that is such an opposite (laughs) message from what have your bread have your bread (laughs) I know I know I seriously like especially in the online space people are like are you crazy and like no no, I'm not. Well, I, I am I, I'm not. Speaking, maybe a little bit. Speaking <laughs> to the additive thing, because there are times where I'm like, ooh, I really want this thing. And then I'm like, okay, and what else is your body asking for? I think mm-hmm. that is sort of like the deeper part of a little bit of intuitive eating mm-hmm. is like you can have it. And what else does your body feel like it needs right now? So I often do mm-hmm. that too. Like, ooh, I really want that handful of 
M&Ms, but I also really mm-hmm. probably need some protein and fat and some other yeah, you know sure. sources of energy. So it's not about picking. Why do we do this? Like, like one or the other. One or the other. Mm-hmm. Just have yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah. Black and white. Yeah. yeah. And the all I or nothing find, I feel like is so strong. I always mm-hmm. find I feel the best when I do have all of the things at right. one meal. Like have some protein, have some carbs, mm-hmm. have some fat. Like picking one thing and then just going. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's so funny that we're so polarized with this stuff. It's, we it's, are. Well, yeah. there's there's fear mongering, right? We talked about it in an earlier uh, podcast. There's a lot of information out there that makes you think, oh, my God, don't touch this. Don't touch that. And really, if we listen mm-hmm. to all of it, we would have a plate full of air because there would yeah. be nothing <laughs> that, <laughs> that would be good enough for our mm, bodies. Delicious. Right? Just <laughs> yummy. So I think it's important to, you know, pull these myths out and call, and call these things out so that we know. I was going to ask you to, um, we say carbs, like very, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. vaguely. Can you like tell people like carb sources? Because there may be more than mm-hmm. what we think. Like we might, we say bread, mm-hmm. right? Of course, bread, potatoes. But there there's right. more to carbs than just like one thing. So sure. I mean, it's also like fruit, dairy products, like mm-hmm. milk, um, you know, starchy vegetables, butternut squash, sweet potatoes, things like that. Um, Yeah, it's definitely not just bread. Uh, Different like legumes have some carb sources in them, things Mm. like that. So yeah, I mean, it can be a variety. It doesn't have to just be bread. Right. So yeah, I think that's also a huge misunderstanding. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people coming straight from a diagnosis don't really understand that. So People are cutting out fruits, which are great, yeah. you know, tons of vitamins, fibers, you know, great additions for you. People are cutting out, you know, even like potatoes, like regular potatoes. I mean, with the skin and everything, there's yeah. some nutrients there. And it's such a scary, scary thing for people when you have diabetes and you're thinking about your blood sugars and you're hearing all this information about how carbs are the enemy you know mm-hmm. so yeah there's just so much debunking and uh kind of going back to the basics to kind of help people understand that food doesn't have to be scary can i ask okay. a question so as it relates to diabetes i mean you have a quantifiable metric that people can work off of if they i'm assuming they would use like a glucometer and they would measure against that like mm-hmm. how do you integrate that into the approach because i mean what i'm hearing you say at the end of the day mm-hmm. is people get afraid and then they make decisions from that fearful place and it's like a negative experience for them overall. And yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. let's get consistent energy throughout the day and let's see what happens then. Are they then using mm-hmm. their glucometer and and validating this mm-hmm. as, as uh, you know, it's supporting them? Is glucometers not the yeah. way to go? Like, I'm yeah. curious what your perspective is on that. Yeah, okay, okay. So this one is <laughs> ready. also ready. just another, <laughs> well, get ready. This is another layer for people with diabetes. Um, a lot of times with that black and white thinking comes the rigidity around their blood sugar ranges and kind of like emotional responses. So, okay. So as we're working on your relationship with food, there is also a space of being curious versus judgmental over your blood sugar management and being able to see how we can make adjustments there because I, I get it. It's like you have some weird lady, aka me, telling you <laughs> you're going to add in bread. And it's like, okay, what's going to happen? Right. You know, what's going to happen to my blood sugars? But I think the curiosity really helps because what you start seeing is that I just tried my carb source with my lunch and my blood sugars were okay. 
I added in a dessert at my dinner time and I was okay. Okay, sometimes your blood sugars are not going to be in that ideal range. Instead of jumping straight to this like worst case scenario, it's like, can we evaluate what else is going on? Because there's mm-hmm. more factors that affect mm-hmm. our blood sugars outside of That's food. That's so important. You know? Can I, I want to share yeah. like a personal story on that one, right? So yeah, I was a big yeah. keto advocate for a long time. Yeah, I was also doing a lot of uh, fitness routines that involved a lot of energy, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah. and you were monitoring your blood sugar. I levels. was. I was monitoring blood sugar levels, ketone levels, doing all of that oh, okay, self-quantified okay. stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, what I started to notice was, you know, I'd do these workouts that were pretty intense, and I would get like really lightheaded. I would get weak and everything. And I was, whoa, what's going on here? So I started taking my blood sugar levels around there, and I was basically diabetic after a workout because mm-hmm. my body was mm-hmm. basically catabolizing protein and turning it into sugars because I was using sugars that weren't mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I literally was eating mm-hmm. no carbs. And my blood sugar was like close to 200, right? Which is incredibly mm-hmm. high, especially yeah. when you don't have any carbohydrates in your system. So, you know, your body's mm-hmm. gonna adapt in a bunch of different ways that you may not expect. And in that circumstance, I could have taken those numbers to somebody and they could have told me I have type two diabetes yeah. and I could have been like, yeah. oh, I, I eat zero carbs, right? And of course mm-hmm. I started eating mm-hmm. some more carbohydrates and my performance and how I felt felt significantly better. So I, I remember yeah. when you were going through that, yeah. when I could see this like dilemma of, my philosophy is this, but my feeling and my mm-hmm. actual physical mm. evidence is this. Yeah, wow. I was like, "Where's yeah. he go with this?" And I'm glad you, I'm glad you went. Started eating cookies and muffins, <laughs> you know, and you know, good, brilliant, yeah. right? <laughs> it does feel good. That serotonin. Cookies kind of fix a lot of things. So I, I remember when you when we were like in the thick of the keto stuff, and I was trying it out, and I think after about five days, you were like, "Yeah, you can't do this anymore because." Someone was going to get emotionally injured if I continued <laughs> down that path. Physically. Not physically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's safety oh, no. was in jeopardy. Um, but yeah, I liked, I am actually happy that you bring light to that because you were like very strict about the carb thing. And clearly, mm. like, it's just, there's so many myths about all of this so stuff. Many. And I think it's like, and then we hear this stuff in a headline mm-hmm. and then we, we villainize bread and then we, have the bread anyway because let's have some bread and then we feel guilt and shame and judgment it's like all of it is just so crazy to me i i went to dinner with a friend the other night and and i felt bad because i laughed at him when he but i my my body couldn't help it he was like telling about his new diet about how he vegetables are toxic and he went on in this whole explanation and i just said I thought I had heard it all being in the fitness space. <laughs> but thank you for shedding light on yet another new thing. And I just like, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I just, I yeah. can't. And then you went on a trip with him and he was just eating everything under the sun, right? <laughs> oh, so, I said, watch out yeah. for those toxic <laughs> zucchinis. Uh, that's, the thing about, that's the thing about dieting in the first place is you just create these rules around yourself and then you can just see somebody talking about it like, like they really want to believe it, but you know deep down inside they don't want to do it, right? Exactly. And it's just like stop mm-hmm. doing it and listen to your body and do things that feel right for you and kick up your heels yeah. and have a good time. And, yeah. and you know, one day we're all going to be dead. And what are you going to buy like five years if you never do anything to your body? Maybe. Well, maybe. Probably not. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> be so well, stressed the out the whole time. The emotional yeah, stress. Like the stress will do it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's also this um, path in the in the alternative health space that I – health space that I went down too deep which is like this preventative 
space, mm-hmm. right? And so like wellness culture. Yes. <laughs> so like can you shed some light on like is diabetes preventable? Like should we not be thinking about it in that way? Like how do we how do what let I, I help me look through a clearer lens there. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to bring up too, you know, the continuous glucose monitors, you know, as a I've seen this um, online, like being promoted for weight loss, being promoted for preventative measures. And um, I just want to say that everybody, whether you have diabetes or not, when you eat carbohydrates, your blood sugar is going to rise. Um, The difference is when you have diabetes, you know, let's say type one, your pancreas is not able to produce that insulin response to help bring that glucose into the cell for energy. When you have type two, there's a resistance. So even though you're producing insulin, there still may be some of that glucose that's just sitting Mm -hmm. and not getting into the cell. For somebody that does not have diabetes, you know, if you're in this space where you are concerned, you know, it's like, should I be watching what I'm eating? Do I need to eat less sugar? Whatever that might be. Again, I want to go back to, you know, what, you know, what is the bigger picture of health? Because if we just fixate on every single food that we're eating, Mm. we're causing stress. We may not be eating enough. And truly, with all the factors that can be at play for diabetes that are not related to food, I think we're going to drive ourselves crazy. And there is like no, like it is not worth it to be struggling with an eating disorder for the sake of having a certain body size or preventing a disease. It is not Mm -hmm. It's not the route we want to go. So, so sorry, that was a little cr- ramble. Well, let me let me let me clarify this. So, if I hear you correctly, so my grandfather had diabetes, mm-hmm. and so if I hear you correctly, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, your grandfather had that. Let's be mindful of that. Let's remember to mention that to your primary doctor. Um, but we're actually mm-hmm. not going to go down the rabbit hole of how do I prevent that because that stress alone could be contributing to it. So instead, we're going to back up, we're going to zoom out, and we're going to think about a more holistic, like, not holistic, but more like whole body, whole life, whole mind approach, Mm -hmm. and not just get down the lane of, like, I have to prevent diabetes, and the only way to do Mm -hmm. that is through restrictive food. Mm -hmm. It's actually like, let's zoom out and be like, what is my connection with Mm -hmm. friends? What is my connection with family? What is What do I do that Mm -hmm. brings me joy? What is my relationship with food? Do I know how to take cues from my body? What is my stress levels? Am I hydrating? Am I sleeping? Am I moving Mm -hmm. my body? So you're saying like when we we fixate on that one thing, we miss all the other factors that are actually potentially even contributing it to in the first place. Right, right. Yes, 100%. And I think too, you know, when we have a genetic component, like family history, it's like, yeah, when you do your physicals, your yearly physicals, you're getting your lab work. Yeah, absolutely. They're probably going to be checking your fasting blood sugars. And if they do notice, it's like cross the road, like cross the bridge when you get there. Mm -hmm. It's like if you're noticing that, oh, you know what, like my fasting blood sugar was a little elevated, or my Hemoglobin A1C, which is the average measure of your blood sugars over a three-month span, if that's elevated, it's like, okay, what are my next steps? And it's not to cut out food. Mm -hmm. It's, again, what are things that I can practice? Like, let's look at movement. Even two minutes of movement a day is beneficial for blood sugars. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever too small. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really challenging because I know – 
for many people, getting diabetes feels like a death sentence. I've actually had clients say that to me. When I was diagnosed, I felt like this was a death sentence. Mm. This was my biggest fear. You know, it's like, I get it because the way it's portrayed, it seems very scary and hopeless. But I just want you to know that even with pre-diabetes, even with diabetes, you can live a long quality life. We just really have to take a bigger look at, you know, the ways that we are living our lives and how we can enhance that. So let me ask this question. So if someone is diagnosed, like even as pre-diabetic and their doctor is, you know, communicating with them about this and then their doctor is like, go down this path and monitor your blood sugar and eat this and don't make you see the eye roll yeah yeah so (laughs) like how do we because I really believe in self-advocacy because I think that we give too much of our power away to to professionals who they're educated we we I understand it's not to discredit their knowledge but they don't know you all the way like you know you and so like I do want to always preach like self-advocacy here because just because a doctor said something to you does not necessarily mean it's good or true for you and so how, so what would you tell someone who's receiving that kind of information from like their primary care physician? Well, you know, truthfully, this is a hard space to be in. Um, I would say, you know, if it does not feel good for you when they bring these things up, you can actually say right then and there, you know, I do not want to be talking about, you know, these types of diets. I don't want to talk about my weight. I would actually like if you could chart in my file that I do not want to talk about weight or diets at my next appointment. Like that can be a very, it can feel very um, mm-hmm. scary, but you can have them document. These are things I don't want to talk about. Um, if you don't feel like they can respect your boundaries around discussing things like that, it may be worth it to look into a different doctor, mm-hmm. um, you know, checking out the reviews online. It, it's just so hard because I know, again, it's like you're looking for insurance to cover and all that. But you're right. Um, advocating for yourself is essential with diabetes. And I think people need to know that those appointments are about you. It's always going to be about you and what's going to serve you best. And yeah, sometimes these medical providers do not have bedside manners, and mm-hmm. that does not mean that you're wrong. <laughs> Some of them are experts so, at shaming, right? I mean, they, they are. Use that to try yeah. to make people feel bad to get action, but it doesn't work, right? It doesn't um, work. You know, one thing that we've been talking about is we've been talking about diabetes a lot, and I think there's so much emphasis on nutrition when it comes to diabetes. And mm-hmm. I had a personal experience when I used to train people of a client yeah. who came in with type 1 diabetes, and I didn't really mm-hmm. do much for him in regards to the nutrition approach, but I did what I would normally do with anybody and just had him focus on gaining strength. And over the course mm. of a few of uh, almost two years, you know, we gained tons of strength. And what was so interesting to me was how much it served his diabetes over time. Because yeah. We talk about oh, yeah. we talk about this input increasing blood sugar. We don't talk about if we gain strength, then we gain muscle. If we gain muscle, then we have a higher mm-hmm. metabolism and more ability to actually utilize the glucose and the carbohydrates that we're yeah. using properly. So yeah. I think that's a, a uh-huh. missing area big time for people who are, are struggling. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And movement is truly amazing. Um, yeah, I know for myself, I was a hiking guide before I went off to college. I was trying to save money <laughs> and, um, yeah, I remember just 
seeing how I was gaining strength and looking at my insulin pump and my continuous glucose monitor. It's like, wow, it's like, I really enjoyed that. I feel strong. And also I'm seeing my blood sugars, you know, level out in a way that's great. So yeah, I love that. I so agree with you. I know. I really feel sad that the fitness industry has kind of ruined the beauty and and pleasure of movement yeah it, it really saddens me sometimes i'm like oh we we've gone about this so wrong but there's there's still opportunity to reevaluate that and mm-hmm. subscribe to a different channel and i mean ultimately that's part of what we're trying to do here at we shape is like don't move for vanity move <laughs> because it feels good and it move good. because yeah. it makes you you know it's like well it's it's this misnomer everybody's like oh abs are made in the kitchen it's like 80 <laughs> oh, percent diet 20 percent exercise oh, all this on. stuff right and if you actually look at like long-lived <laughs> populations what you find is they all have different diets yeah not even close they to the same differently and guess yeah. what they all do they are all active. They all yeah. move. They yeah. all move a lot, right? Yeah. And it's like, how yeah. do we just get people to recognize that mo- like motion is lotion? It okay. makes your body feel good. It makes you feel good. <laughs> and we got to keep people staying active as long as possible. Well, it's because of what we've decided is the right movement. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's that's like, the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. If it's I'm like, not jogging, I'm not doing like something Like me right. taking yeah. the stairs instead of the elevator once today was movement. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Like me walking here instead of driving here this morning. That was movement. But like in our culture, that doesn't count. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It's the it. all or nothing mentality. It's all or nothing. It's yeah. black. Yeah, all Everything is an equation. Calories yeah. in, mm-hmm. calories out. It's like we are mm-hmm. whole humans. Like we are so bigger, so much bigger than like what we eat, you know, or what we do on one singular day, right? So I love that you incorporate that. I know you do groups, obviously. And I love that you incorporate um, all of the aspects of, you know, wellness and things that that can support someone with a diagnosis of diabetes. And I appreciate you saying that it doesn't have to be a death sentence. Mm. I think it's really important that people hear that and understand Mm -hmm. that many of us live with diseases and conditions and injuries and things that we're born with, things that we develop, but it doesn't mean that that has to be the end of our lives. So I don't know if you want to speak to like, you know, like just the complexity of living with a condition and and still thriving and having a good life, you know, and not everything not being about your diabetes or your whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, it's like, as you're processing a new diagnosis for a condition, whether it's diabetes or something else, you know, of course, there's a, there's a process of grief, there is a process of learning. And just know that, you know, there is, you know, medical management, you know, there is, there are ways that you can incorporate, you know, these health promoting behaviors and continue on with your life. And I know it seems scary, like, diabetes is one of the conditions that I think, you know, unfortunately is like a punchline to a joke. Yeah. You know, I think about the, you know, the ads I've seen where it's like this donut, you know, first stop this donut, next stop diabetes or something to do with sugar. And it's like, so I know people feel like a lot of shame. And I just want to again, remind you, you know, being able to care for yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, all these factors are going to help promote a quality life for you. And it's not the end of the road. Awesome. Well, I love that, Danielle. And I think that I, you know, going back to that self-advocacy, I feel like you'd be a wonderful resource for people who are um, potentially in the middle of this and learning how to advocate. So Mm -hmm. where can our listeners find you? 
Yeah, so I'm mostly on Instagram at Food Freedom Diabetes. Um, you know, I have my my website's the same, super easy. Everything's just Food Freedom Diabetes. So, um, you know, if you want to reach out to me there, I always love chatting with people. I've been trying to provide um, different like master classes and things to kind of help people. And I have a Facebook group. So, yeah, I, I am online if you want to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It's been a pleasure to, I, we've never talked about diabetes on the podcast yeah, and I'm so glad so. we got to today because you've shed some really incredible yeah. light. So thank you again so much. We hope to connect again. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so nice to chat with you all. Yes. Thank you again. And don't forget to check us out at WeShape.com or we're on all social channels at WeShape for movement-related content, at WeShape Podcast to hear clips from the podcast. Or if you want to get in touch with us, check us out at, or you can email us at podcast at weshape.com and we will see everyone next week thanks lisa for being here again bye thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show now before you go it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review this helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time also we want to hear from you So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.